0: Good morning. Praise God that He has given us an opportunity such as this, that we're able to come together to remember what Jesus has done for us um, so that we can be God's children, uh, so that we can be part of His family. Today we're going to continue our our series in talking about the Holy Spirit. I expect that this will be part four of a five-part series, so we will be be finishing this up, Lord willing, uh, near the the beginning of next month. Um, But we're specifically going to build upon and finish up some thoughts that we looked at two weeks ago regarding God's Spirit as the revealer of truth. Uh, We talked about God's Spirit as the breath of life, the giver of life, Uh, certainly to all creation, all living beings, uh, but in a special sense to giving spiritual life to us as God's people. We've talked about God's spirit as the blessings of his presence, in one sense, omnipresent in all of creation, uh, and yet the promise of his attentive watch and care uh, of his presence within us as his people, uh, the invisible working in our lives that we might sometimes call called providence, Uh, but the aspects of the Spirit's work that gets the most attention within the scriptures is his work as the revealer of truth, his work of revelation, He's constantly at work in the Old Testament through the prophets. Uh, Many of the prophecies that look forward to the coming of the Spirit focus on how his work of revelation specifically will be a a foundational way of him bringing new life to us as God's people. And even the miraculous gifts of healing, tongue speaking, and other mighty deeds were largely intended to be subordinate to the work of revelation, uh, confirming that the message was from God. And we finished up last time looking at two important principles. I want to just kind of reiterate these things as we get started today. Um, First of all, we're often warned against false prophets who would speak from the deceit of their own minds. We only looked at just a few passages about that. Uh, But we see this idea that questioning the validity of claims to miraculous revelation is not within itself an evidence of weak faith. Uh, In fact, it is hopefully evidence of a biblically grounded faith, one that respects the frequent biblical warnings against being led astray by those who are self-deceived and falsely claiming to speak from God. And we also saw that the Spirit's work of revelation was never a vague feeling deep in someone's heart. I want to reread what Luke just read to us here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by The Holy Spirit. The Spirit's work of revelation is not dependent on our ability to interpret vague feelings or happenings within our lives. Um, Now, as as we said last time, there there may be some interpretive work on man's part when it comes to God's providential work within our lives. Uh, What the Spirit is doing is doing behind the scenes, what doors are being opened or closed in our lives, how prayers are being answered, why God is allowing certain trials in our life. Um, But but that is not God's work of revelation that we are talking about. Uh, And certainly there's some interpretive work to be done on our part um, in discerning the meaning and application of what the Spirit has revealed. We we do this every time we, we open our Bibles. And yet that any kind of interpretation on our part does not stand between us and what God intends to reveal to us. Um, I, I want to just kind of clarify and solidify this point for us as we get started today by looking at three illustrations. Uh, first of all, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 11 specifically, uh, last week, um, or Two weeks ago it says, concerning this salvation, talking about the gospel, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Here we have the Spirit working through these prophets and the Spirit revealing something to them, that which is revealed to them they proclaim. And yet there's some things about that they that they don't fully understand. There, there's still some working that they're doing and trying to inquire into this. And this is uh, what we are talking about when, when we approach the scriptures today. They, there are parables. There's symbolism, there's apocalyptic literature. The spirit does not spell out clearly for us every implication and application of the words that are revealed. Some interpretive work is left up to us. And now in saying that, what, what I call this the work of man, we still need to be praying for God's wisdom and for God's help in that. And God promises in James chapter one, that he'll grant that that he'll help us as we seek to discern what he has revealed uh, with, with honest hearts, with wisdom. Um, uh, and we can trust that, that God will help us in that. But the spirit's work of revelation is complete the way that he intended for it to be before you or I do any amount of interpretation. Let's look at another example in Acts chapter 10. You remember uh, the story about Peter uh, as he is commissioned to go and preach to Cornelius in his household. And God sends him this vision. Uh, and we see Peter sees this uh, sheet containing all types of animals, unclean animals, lowered down. And God tells him, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, not so, Lord. He's never eaten anything common or unclean. And God says, what God has made clean, do not call common. He shows this vision to him three times. And then we see that these men coming from Cornelius uh, come, ask Peter to come with them back to Cornelius and his household. The spirit tells him to go with them. But, But look down in verse 33 of Acts chapter 10, it says, so I sent for you at once, this is Cornelius speaking to Peter. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Um, was Peter simply left to interpret this vision all on his own? Uh, was the truth of Peter's message to Cornelius and his household dependent on his ability to get it right? To draw the right conclusions from the vision that he saw and, and make the, the right applications? Well, no. Even here we see that the spirit is carrying along Peter. Uh, what interpretive work was essential to Revelation was governed and directed by the spirit himself. These are the words that the Lord was commanding him to say, even as Peter himself is interpreting the vision that he had seen earlier. And so there are times where we see God reveal something, uh, you know, maybe uh, somewhat symbolically at first and then guides the prophets through interpreting and understanding what that means so that they can then proclaim that message uh, fully to others. So what is 2 Peter telling us is not the case. Well, 2 Peter tells us that man's work of interpretation does not stand in between us and the revelation that God is giving. Um, so sometimes the spirit will guide somebody through interpreting what he's revealed to then proclaim it to us. Sometimes God proclaims exactly what he wants revealed and then he leaves it to us to, to continue to think through that praying for his help through that. uh, And yet the work of revelation has been completed. But man's work of interpretation does not stand in between us and the revelation of the spirit. Um, God doesn't entrust his revealing of his will, his guiding us into all truth, his granting us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He doesn't entrust that to the fickleness of human emotion or surrender that to the separate workings of the human heart. Men carried along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Uh, Revelation is not subjective, ambiguous, a better felt than spoken experience. The truth and accuracy of revelation was not dependent on human capabilities, on human understanding, but entirely rested upon the working of God's Spirit. So understanding that biblical concept From our vantage point, how do we know if someone is truly being carried along by the Spirit? How do we know if someone who claims to be a prophet is, in fact, speaking from God? We're warned that many will claim to speak from God when they're not, in fact, speaking from the Lord. But the Bible doesn't just tell us to watch out for false prophets. It tells us how to look out for false prophets. Two primary tests Uh, were intended to determine the legitimacy of a prophet's message. And these tests really go all the way back to the Old Testament. Uh, First, we can see what we might deem the the miraculous test. Did they show evidence of divine knowledge or power? Uh, And this is where those miraculous gifts confirming that this message was indeed coming from God, uh, could only come from the power of God uh, come into play. But we see this concept all the way back in Deuteronomy. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting in verse 20. We read in verse 20, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that, uh, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has spoken, uh, has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. First of all, I want you to notice there in verse 20 how seriously they were to regard this idea of of speaking presumptuously on God's behalf. It it held the death penalty under the old law. This is not something that we should take lightly. This is something we should take extremely seriously. Uh, But how were they told in this context, at least, they were going to be able to identify what the Lord had said and what he hadn't said? Uh, Well, one very simple test is, is what he prophesied was going to take place? Does it actually take place? When when God speaks something, you can be assured that that God does not lie, uh, that what God says with his divine foreknowledge, uh, insight that only God provides, that is certain that it would come to pass. And if it didn't, it was evident that the prophet was speaking from the deception of his own heart. But, but this type of evidence could come through the fulfillment of prophecy, uh, evidence of divine foreknowledge, but it could also come through more immediate demonstrations of the spirit. In John chapter 10, Jesus says uh, to the Jews in verse 37 and 38, if I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Jesus doing works that only the power of the father could truly accomplish witnessed to the authority he claimed and the truth of the things that he taught. Uh, Jesus did not accept uh, expect blind acceptance of his message. He expected his hearers to weigh the evidence to see that his works were not just that of a mere man, uh, but demonstrations of the power of God. And John builds on this idea later on at the end of his gospel, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. We read, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life In his name. Uh, This entire gospel of John has been written to witness to the signs Jesus did and give us assurance that his message was, in fact, from God, uh, that he is who he claimed to be and is able to give us life through his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, And so, Firstly, we see uh, that whether by miraculous sign, miraculous work, by fulfillment of prophecy, uh, they would be able to identify uh, that this was truly coming from the power of God. But that wasn't the only test and perhaps wasn't even the primary test because we're warned in passages like Matthew 24 and second Thessalonians two, that we'll look at in a little bit, that there would be people who'd come along and do lying signs and lying wonders, deceiving the people by things that appeared to be coming from the Lord. And so there's a second test that we're given, even all the way back in Deuteronomy. In fact, this test is given first what we might call the doctrinal test. Do their words and deeds Agree with what God has already revealed. And when I say doctrinal, I I don't want us to miss that point that this was beyond just what they were saying, uh, but but the fruit, the, the deeds as well. Look back in Deuteronomy chapter 13, though. Deuteronomy 13, starting in verse 1. Here Moses told the people, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which we have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of the prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Here, the miraculous test was never intended to stand on its own. In this case, we see somebody is in fact doing some sign, some wonder, and it actually comes to take place. And yet, how are they to know that this is not truly from the Lord? Well, test what they're teaching, where they're leading you. The, the fruit that that's going to bear, is that consistent with what you've already heard from the Lord? Is that drawing you closer to the Lord? Was the message God honoring? Was it consistent with what God had already commanded? Um, We see the same idea in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, as Paul is rebuking the the brethren of, of Galatia for turning away to another gospel. You remember what he says to them in verse 8 and 9? He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He says, even if an angel from heaven is bringing you some other message than what has already been revealed, let them be accursed. What, what was the standard? What was the primary standard? Was it consistent with what they already knew God to say? God doesn't contradict himself um, Now, God certainly builds upon His revelation. We we see this idea that under the the new covenant, uh, He reveals new things to His people. But but even there, when you look through the New Testament, you know, how strongly is that interwoven on every page with what God had already revealed to them in the Old Testament? That within itself was part of the evidence of its validity. 1 John chapter 4 uh verse one we we read in our last study but if you look again in first john chapter uh four starting in verse one he says beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from god for many false prophets have gone out into the world well how do we test the spirits verse two by this you know the spirit of god Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. Um, And so here, I, I don't think John is presenting for us an exhaustive list of all the possible tests to be used in identifying the spirit of God and the spirits of error. But he's presenting this to us as the most foundational test. And so we need to ask, is this message consistent with the gospel? Is it consistent with Jesus? Could this be the spirit that Jesus promised to send? Or would we have to conclude that this is some other spirit leading us in some other direction? You see the the same warnings in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians uh, in chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter two, starting verse nine, we're told the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth. And so to be saved Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Brother, passages like this should scare us. <laughs> Here, we, we see that they're, they're going to be given a, a strong delusion. There, there's going to be lying signs and wonders leading them astray. Well, how, how can we possibly uh, not be led astray by that? Well, he gives us the answer. He says that these are those who refused to love the truth. Verse 12, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. How are we going to be able to decipher what is and is not coming from God? The most foundational principle is that we love the truth, that we believe the truth, that we take no pleasure in unrighteousness. Proverbs 23 and verse 23 says, buy the truth and do not sell it. Don't sell it in the name uh, of, of tolerance or peace. Don't sell it in the name of what this world falsely calls love. Don't sell it for the passing pleasures of sin or getting caught up in the emotions of the moment. Love the truth and hold on to it no matter what it costs. And so... We need to cling to the truth that God has revealed to us. And we need to allow that to help us identify uh, whether or not these messages are, in fact, coming from God. Is consistent with what he has revealed to us. Look, look back at Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus here addresses the same warning. Matthew 7, starting at verse 15. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. He warns us that on a surface level, it's not going to be easy to decipher. It's not going to be easy to discern. Uh, they're going to look a lot like sheep. On the, the, the surface, um, you know, they're going to say a lot of the right things. Uh, it's going to sound very religious, very pious, very sincere, Um, It's going to look impressive. But he says, look at the fruits. Again, we're not just talking about what what they're teaching, but where that teaching leads, the fruit that it bears, how it manifests itself uh, in, in the teacher and their followers' lives. But how is it that we know what that fruit is supposed to look like? You know, is it just what we ourselves think sounds like Good fruit, what, what appeals to our appetite, so to speak? Not at all. It's receiving the love of the truth. It's going back to what God has told us that fruit is supposed to look like. What the seed of his word is intended to produce within our lives. And so, how will we know who is truly being carried along by the Holy Spirit? Well, we need to know where the Holy Spirit is leading, right? Do they have genuine evidence of the Spirit's power, as we see it described in the Scripture? And even more foundationally, is their teaching bearing fruit consistent with God's prior revelation, or is it bearing fruit that evidences some other source, some other type of seed at work? But we also need to recognize that within the Scripture, the Spirit's work of revelation was not intended to be an ever-incomplete and ongoing process. The the gifts of prophecy, tongues, and miraculous knowledge were partial forms of revelation, progressing towards a perfected or completed revelation. Turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You you may remember that the, the church in Corinth had come to believe that the miraculous gifts of the spirit, specifically tongue speaking, uh, are really what made their assemblies meaningful and impactful. Uh, You know, Paul talks to them earlier about uh, the Lord's Supper in chapter 11, how they are corrupting that. You you can almost see see the Corinthians saying, well, yeah, the Lord's Supper, that's good, that's important. Uh, You know, we enjoy it. Uh, teaching, edification, prayer, good things, but speaking in tongues, that's where it's really at. You know, when, when you have the, the power of God working through you in such a visible way, uh, that's when you really know God is at work uh, among you. That, that's when you truly experience His power. Well, Paul wants to address that mindset. And that attitude, he talks in chapter 12 uh, about some ways that this was causing division among them. Uh, They were having the wrong attitude, the wrong emphasis, kind of lifting themselves up in pride with these things. Uh, But he gets down to the end of chapter 12 and he says, Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And yet I will show you a still more excellent way. That's, that's the context that we're in. As we get into chapter 13, he turns his attention towards what the true fruit of the spirit is. Um, not just some experience of a visible outward power, but a transformation of character. Love. He says in chapter 13, verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That, that is not the most significant way that you experience God at work within you. No, the transformation of your character is what's most important. And if you don't have that, it doesn't matter what else is going on. You've missed the point. And so he focuses in on love, the value, the importance of reflecting God's character. And as he gets down to the end of this description, look in verse eight. It says, love never ends. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. What what is he saying there? He gets back to this this wrong focus that they had on exalting the, the miraculous gifts as the primary way that they were experiencing God. He says, love never ends, but, but prophecy? It's going to end. Uh, speaking in tongues? That's going to cease. Uh, miraculous knowledge? Again, re- revelation from the Spirit here. It, it will pass away. Well, why? Why are those things going to pass away? He says that they are in part incomplete, providing revelation piece by piece throughout the infancy. Of the church. But he says one day the perfect or completed revelation would come and the partial would be done away with. What are we talking about here? You know, if you talk to just about anyone in the charismatic movement, uh, they will recognize there is some difference between how the Spirit worked in the first century and how the Spirit is working today. If, if you ask somebody um, who, who believes in modern day tongue speaking and prophecy, uh, would it be okay for us to you know take some revelation that you had from God and write it down and just kind of put it as an addendum to our Bible, just kind of stick it in there at the end of the book of Revelation? Most of them would say, well, no. No, we, we're not claiming that. We're, we're not claiming that... that the, the Spirit's intending to, to add to, to the scripture. Um, so most would recognize there is at least some type of change, right? Well, why not? If, if the Spirit's working the exact same way that He worked back then, why, why not? Why, why can't we can just continue to add to the end of our Bibles? Um, because God has not waited until 2022 to finally guide His people into all truth. Um, the revelation that we have from God today is not partial and incomplete. It is perfect. Uh, and if that is true, this passage tells us that the partial, the tongues, the prophecy, the miraculous knowledge will be done away with. When, when you think about this idea, when he says that these are in part, how, how would they experience that? Well, you know, Peter had a part and, and Paul had a part. Uh, you know, and, and the other uh, apostles or prophets, they each had a, had a part. But one day, uh, the complete, the perfect would come and there would no longer be a need for the partial. I think ultimately, what practically speaking, what he's speaking of here is when all scripture uh, would provide the all truth promised through the Spirit. Look in John 16, verse 12 and 13. John 16, verse 12 and 13. Jesus told his apostles, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For you will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Brethren, has God fulfilled that promise? Um, Or is he still in the process of fulfilling it? Are we still waiting for that all truth today? Or was it given to his apostles and prophets in the first century and written down uh, for us within the scriptures? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. If you want to turn your Bibles over there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14, no- notice what Paul tells Timothy uh, about the scripture here. He says in verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believe, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When Paul says all scripture here, what what was he referring to? You know, he, he just a moment ago talked about how Timothy had known the sacred writings from childhood. What was he referring to there? Well, certainly the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, When he gets down to verse 16, is he just talking about the Old Testament scriptures though? Notice what he said at the end of verse 15. The sacred writings that he had been acquainted with from childhood, they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Of course, the Old Testament writings were not sufficient within themselves to to bring him to salvation. They were pointing forward towards something. But when you combine the sacred writings that he knew from childhood with faith in Christ Jesus, that's the foundation on which he now says in verse 16, all scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I think clearly in context, Paul is not just talking about the Old Testament scripture. That that wasn't completed to make the man of God complete. In every aspect. No, it's that plus faith in Christ Jesus that forms together the all scripture. What was Paul talking about something that wasn't going to be completed for over 2,000 years in the future? Some kind of vague idea that one day we're going to have all that we need to be everything that God wants us to be. Well, no. I think Paul writing his very last letter at the end of his life uh, by the direction of the Spirit is looking towards this concept of all scripture combining what is now even from his very pen being written down by the Spirit under the new covenant bringing faith in Christ Jesus plus the sacred writings that they had from before. That all scripture is able to make them complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is the all truth That the Spirit had promised to guide them into. And so when you have the all truth, the partial, as 1 Corinthians 13 describes it, uh, was no longer needed. And and by the way, this this may be helpful that you think about in the context of 1 Corinthians 13. When it says that the partial, that which is in part, and then the perfect, or it can be translated complete. Um, if, if I were to say, uh, you know, he, here's a, a piece of pumpkin pie, uh, but I have a, another whole one in the fridge, what would I be talking about? Would I be talking about a whole watermelon in my fridge? Well, no, I, I just talked about a piece of pumpkin pie. When I say I have another whole one, obviously I'm talking about a whole pumpkin pie. In, in context... The part and the whole are the same thing, right? In 1 Corinthians 13, when we read about that which is in part and that which is perfect, literally complete, what are we talking about? We're talking about completed revelation, completed knowledge, completed prophecy. Well, what do the scriptures tell us we're looking forward to in reference to completed revelation? I think this all scripture that Paul is talking about right here, Second Timothy 3. Uh, verse 16 and 17. And so we're not still waiting for that to be fulfilled today, 2,000 years in the future. We have the all truth that the Spirit promised. We have the all scripture that Paul is talking about here. By God's grace, we hold it in our very hands today. The miraculous gifts providing and confirming revelation from God have accomplished their purpose and they live on today within the living and active and powerful word of God. The scriptures continue to be the most visible and significant way in which the spirit works in our lives today. Brethren, I I certainly do not believe um, that it is biblical to confine the Spirit's working in our lives today exclusively to what it does through the words of Scripture. Uh, we've talked about the blessings of God's presence. We, we've talked about his indwelling, about the new spiritual life, the new birth that we have through the Spirit. But if revelation is indeed presented to us as the primary work of the Spirit throughout the Scriptures, and if the primary work Jesus said he would send the spirit to accomplish as our helper is to guide us into all truth. But I don't think we can deny that the Bible is the greatest and most powerful instrument the spirit uses to accomplish his work in our lives today. Remember the, the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. We're told to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And in Hebrews chapter four and verse 12, we're told the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Brethren, the Bible is not just words on a page. It's not just some academic or historical document, some, some piece of ancient literature to be studied and analyzed. It is the breath of the almighty. It's the sword of his hand, active and powerful to convict and transform us, to create new life within us. It's the spirit's light, his revealing work to open our eyes to who God truly is and show us how to develop a genuine relationship with him. I don't think we can overemphasize the power and importance of God's word in our lives. We, we may emphasize it in a wrong way. We, we may emphasize God's word, treating it merely as some technical legal document or doctrinal treatise, you know, robbing it of its true purpose and failing to use it to genuinely draw close to the Lord. But I don't think we can overemphasize its true value and importance in revealing God to us. When God promised through his spirit to guide us into all truth. This right here is how he has and continues to accomplish it. It is a living and powerful tool by which the spirit continues to work in our lives today. Isaiah 59 and verse 21, you may remember, uh, we talked about a prophecy there. Regarding the spirit, it says in Isaiah 59, verse 21, And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouths of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. How has God fulfilled that promise? That through his spirit, his spirit is going to be with us forever. It's the helper that has come to to be with us as Jesus has ascended to the Father. And it says his word is not going to depart from our mouths. Not in our mouths or the children or the to the furthest generation. How has God accomplished that? You know, wouldn't it be amazing to have God speak through you? to be carried along by the Holy Spirit, to know that the words coming out of your mouth, whether you fully understand them or not, that that God was revealing his will through the things you were saying. Brother, we have that gift today. Every single one of us is assured that we can experience that when we open our Bibles and we read God's Word. It's every bit as living and powerful as if he had brought it down and put it through our mouth directly today. And we can know whether we fully understand it or not that we are speaking the words of the Lord, that he is fulfilling his work of guiding us into all truth, of revealing his will to us through the spirit, the sword of his spirit, that he is carrying us along by his revelation today. And so are we following the Spirit's, Spirit's guidance today? Are we listening to the all truth that he has revealed within the scriptures? Are we speaking it? Are we living it? then you want to invite the Spirit's work into your life. Use the primary tool that is accomplishing the primary work that the Bible says the Spirit came to do. And allow the sword of the spirit to pierce your heart today. If you haven't been following the revelation of God's will through his spirit, through his word. um, Will you come to God today convicted of your sins? Will you allow it to pierce you to the heart? Will you surrender fully to his guidance? If so, you can be born again of water and the spirit. God will cleanse you, will breathe new life into your soul. You can be raised out of the waters of baptism to live a new life with the blessings of God's presence with you, within you, day by day. If you recognize that you have not been responding correctly to the Spirit, um, that you haven't surrendered the way that you need to to the Lord, won't you make that change today? If there's any way that we can help you, that that is why we are here. We we are not here because we just think that this document is an interesting historical academic document and we really enjoy uh, the process of studying it. We should enjoy studying it because of what this sword is intended to do within our hearts and do within our lives. Let's let that be the focus. And if, if it's convicting you that you need to change in some way, let us help you with that. Um, if you're subject to the call of the Spirit today, uh, won't you come forward, make your need known as we stand and sing together.